If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Jesus says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The will is a vast subject as you dwell on it. The will of man, the will of God. The older Webster's Dictionary from the 1800s has eight different definitions for the word will. Seven that could apply to the context of prayer. They involve choice, desire, command, power, divine determination, and purposeful counsel. For a working definition this morning of will, to will something is to make a choice based on a desire and then using the resources available to make it happen. That's my summary of a will. To make a choice based on a desire and then using the resources available to make it happen. In theology, in the study of God's Word, there is a tension, a, a tension between God's will and suffering. How could it be a good God's will that people suffer? To truly understand prayer, we must have a proper understanding of suffering and how it works with God's will. There are those who contend that if you qualify your prayers with, if it be your will, God, they say that that weakens our prayers. I respectfully disagree with that perspective. And this morning, we're going to look at why I believe that that is not true. We're going to look at what God's will is, why we pray for God's will, and how we pray for God's will. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we praise you again for this opportunity. Lord, we praise you for this subject this morning. We praise you for your will. Your divine, magnificent will, Lord. I pray that your spirit would guide us as we grow in the knowledge of that and the understanding of it this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, our working definition of will. To make a choice based on a desire. And then using any resources available to make it happen. Let's keep that fresh in our minds as we read the last two verses of our text again this morning. Six, starting in chapter 6, verse 38. And this is Jesus again speaking. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing 
of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. That is God's ultimate will, that everyone that looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. That is God's ultimate will. God's desire is that all who believe would have eternal life. And based on that desire, He made a choice to use the resource of His Son's life to make that happen. So what is God's will? To save us. To save us from ourselves and from the enemy. In our humanity, we have our own wills. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. We have that freedom. That is our will. Our ability to act on our desires. Going back to verse 38 of chapter 6. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now as you read that verse, do you consider that Jesus is God? So how can he have a different will than himself? Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Paul wrote these words. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. John chapter 1, verse 12. John writes, But to all who did receive him, Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus became like us to make a way for us. In becoming like us, he took our will upon himself and conquered it. For us. Let that sink in. He had the will of the Father. He became as a man and took our will upon him and conquered it for us. God has the power to force us to do his will. But then that would take away our wills. God gave us free will so that we could love. 
But it was impossible for us to use that will perfectly because we are not God. We are not God because there can be only one God, one ultimate authority. In order for us to love in our humanity, we have to have free wills. In order for us to function under God's authority, we have to submit our wills to His. John chapter 7, verse 17. Jesus said, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Now that we have an understanding of what God's will is and how he provided for our wills to be brought into alignment with his, that they would be crucified with Christ, now that we have an understanding of that, let's look at why our prayers should be according to his will. Do you remember the answer to the question, why pray? Alan prayed it in his prayer, closing the praise set. The goal of prayer is communion with God. Personal, intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. To be in fellowship with God. In order to be in fellowship with anyone in a relationship, we need commonality. In a marriage, the ultimate earthly example of Christ's relationship with his church. The goal is for the husband and wife to have deeper and deeper communion with each other. The only way for them to have deeper communion is for them to become more and more alike. They're going to keep their individuality, but they are one flesh. But for them to be pulling in the same direction, to become more and more alike in their worldview, the only lasting way that they become more and more alike is that they individually become more and more like Jesus. As we commune with God, because He is perfect, He doesn't change. In order for us to grow in relationship with Him, we have to change. In order for us to change, we have to recognize our need to change. And that is where suffering comes in. God allows suffering to point us to His perfect will. Prayer is an exercise of seeking His will. Again, His ultimate will is that everyone who looks on His Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. That is God's goal. And it should be our goal as we pray. So you're probably thinking, Kevin, are you saying then that it is God's will that we suffer? That's a question for the ages, right? Is it God's will that we suffer in the ways that we do? I stand before you this morning and I say, 
The simple answer is yes. You say, but Kevin, why would a good God want us to suffer? Why would a good God want us to face cancer? Why would a good God want marriages to struggle? Why would a good God want someone to be born blind? God doesn't want us to suffer. We're going to talk about it later that he grieves in our suffering. But it is his will that we suffer because of the ends that it brings. And that's what we're going to look at. Is it his will that babies are aborted, that children are abused, that marriages fall apart, again, that people get cancer? I believe he uses those things. It is God's will that we face temporary suffering so that we have opportunity to avoid eternal suffering. Revelation 21.4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This time is coming where there will be no pain. There will be no crying. This time is coming. It's the promise that we have. Paul tells us in his letter to the Colossians that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is true. When we come, when we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Christ dwells in us. As you hear my voice this morning, if you have put your full faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you have Christ in you. It is done. And what an amazing gift that is. But in the meantime, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul also reminds us, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The world we live in is fallen. Because of man's sin, death entered the world. And unless Jesus returns first, our earthly bodies are going to grow old. They're going to get weaker. We are going to eventually die. That may be from old age. Or it may be from some sort of premature illness, accident, or some sin perpetrated against us. This reality is hard. To deny that reality is not helpful. To deny that we have the effects of a fallen world does not help us in our brokenness. And it is also not what Jesus modeled for us. John chapter 11, verse 33. Speaking of Mary, concerning her brother Lazarus' death. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. 
Jesus knew what God was about to do. He had just told Martha that her brother would rise again. Yet he grieved with them. Verse 35 in John chapter 11. Two simple words. Jesus wept. He knew Lazarus wasn't going to stay in that tomb. But he knew the pain of their suffering. And he grieved with them. He wept with them. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. God worked this miracle for a specific purpose. We go back to John 11, starting in verse 25. We see what Jesus said to Martha before he ever even faced their grief. He told them, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He was speaking of eternal life. God was using suffering, the suffering of Lazarus, to point to his eternal will. Lazarus does not walk with us today. He died again. He faced the reality of a fallen world. He ultimately was laid in that tomb and was not resurrected. But in that account in John chapter 11, he was resurrected for God's purpose and in God's will. Not only did Jesus acknowledge the pain of our suffering, but he showed us the struggle of his own suffering. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 39. It says, And going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then going down to verse, 20, verse 42 in Matthew 26. Again, for the second time, he went away. And this is after he found his disciples sleeping. He went away and prayed. He said, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then he prayed a third time. And we know from Luke's account. In chapter 22, verse 44, it says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. Suffering is hard, but suffering is necessary. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 Paul wrote, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. It's not that we don't grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve. That's why we introduced a ministry this morning called Grief Share. We grieve because life is hard. It is sheer agony 
to lose loved ones. It is hard to face the reality of our own fragility, but to submit ourselves to God's will is necessary. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Peter says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. God meets us in our suffering. And let me be clear, our suffering does not have to be because of our own personal sin. There are many things we face in life that seem unfair. Why do some people have more influence than others? Why do some people have less struggles than others? God's weaving it all together for his ultimate will to bring people into his kingdom. He meets us in our suffering. He does not minimize it. He shows us the way out of it for eternity. Whatever the depth of your suffering, and it it is deep, I understand that. But Jesus entered into our suffering with us to meet us in our suffering, to prepare a path out of it, and then to lead us on that path out of our suffering. We are also called to meet others in that suffering. I absolutely believe that some of God's purpose, and I don't pretend to understand it all by any stretch of the imagination, but I know that some of us face suffering for one of the primary purposes of helping others out of theirs and to point them to Christ in the midst of theirs. That's God's ultimate goal once again. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out why. Why am I suffering this? Why am I suffering that? Trying to blame ourselves. Trying to blame someone else. That is not a healthy perspective of suffering. The purpose of suffering is to point us to our Savior. And as we suffer, and as we watch others suffer, Our only hope and our greatest hope and our absolute hope is to put our faith in Christ. And once we put our faith in Christ, our suffering is an opportunity to share Christ with others. And in the meantime, the mirror that Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians 13 will get clearer and clearer. The more we face this fallen world with that healthy perspective of suffering, the clearer and clearer the mirror will get. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's why we seek God's will in prayer. Not to get what we want, but to ultimately get 
what God knows that we need. We talked last week in general about how we pray. But how do we pray specifically for God's will? 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask... We know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. How do we pray? We pray as Jesus modeled. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we are saved, we have Christ in us. We are in the kingdom of God. But as long as we dwell in these physical bodies, we still face the reality of this fallen world. And just as Paul appealed three times for his thorn to be removed, which we don't know what it was, but we know that it was suffering. Just as he appealed three times for that thorn to be removed, we still bring our needs to God in prayer, our physical, our relational Needs. We bring those to God in prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul took his thorn three times, and then he penned these words. Just as Jesus appealed three times in the garden, we are invited to bring our requests, our supplications before God in prayer. But we must keep His ultimate will as the focus. That is going to require us to hold loosely to our physical lives, our possessions, our positions, our health, our loved ones. Sometimes, after our prayers, our circumstances will change. Sometimes they won't. But we ask for things in accordance to God's will. And we rest in the fact that His ultimate will will prevail. That is a beautiful gift that He has given us. You see, if we didn't have that hope, and when we forget that hope, when I forget that hope, I get in despair in the fallenness of this world. And I think, how can this be? How can this get better? How can I stand against whatever it is that I'm facing? And praise God, He reminds me that no matter the degree of my suffering, No matter the depths of my sorrow, he is there. He is there in the midst of this fallen world, and he's awaiting us there in eternity. I pray that you understand, truly understand, the purpose of suffering. I pray this morning that you understand what it means to pray for God's will. I pray that we can get outside of our minds and outside of Satan's lies and we can look past this life. We can look to eternity. We have to live this life. 
We are called to live this life. We are called to live this life in the best way possible for God's glory and the good of others. I pray that that is your heart's desire. I pray that that is the reality that you're walking in. I know there are individuals in this church who are facing deep suffering, deep questions, many unknowns. God is in the midst of it. He entered into our suffering with us to bring us out of it. Stand on that promise. Find someone to walk the journey with you. You are not alone. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. We praise you for your love for us. God, we know that this fallen world is a result of our sinfulness, of our sin nature. God, we rejoice in the fact that you sent your Son in the midst of our suffering to face our suffering, to bear our suffering, to overcome our suffering, to lead us out of our suffering. God, I pray for those who are facing different degrees, different elements of suffering here this morning, God. God, that someone will meet them in their grief, embrace them in their grief, and help to lead them in your way, Father, your way of trust, your way of hope. And God, in our prayers, as we seek your will, that we can stand on that hope, we can stand on that promise, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.